millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and tonight I'm going to be looking again at Ring of Steel by Alexander Watson. We're going to be looking at uh, the the kind of the, the social makeup of uh, Germany in 1914 and what bearing that has on Germany's war and the relative social kind of cohesion uh, that existed. Um, Germany goes into the war relatively socially united. Um, Perhaps this is uh, something similar for for many countries in Europe, but in Germany it's pivotal for the first two years. And then that social compact begins to fragment. Now, before we get into this, I have some, some pretty good news. A while back, I was uh, making a, an effort to try not to buy things from places like Amazon and to pick out a independent uh, bookshop that um, needed, you know, uh, some business. And so I came across Storytellers in St. Anne's, which is St. Anne's is nowhere near me. I'm here in Wales. But um, I chose to, to give them my business and I have encouraged people to do the same, you know, just find an indie bookshop somewhere and uh, embrace it and you know look after it be a good patron of it um so i'm gonna do my my review of the year in a couple of weeks time the best books i've read this year and i'm just going to encourage everybody if they are going to buy any of these books to uh to go to storytellers and to put your business there because you'll you'll help a, a little gem of a bookshop. So in response, storytellers have said that anybody who um, listens to the podcast and contacts them quoting um, explaining history, the term explaining history, will be able to order anything I'm recommending at a 10% discount. So, you know, make sure that make sure that you do. Uh, and they're a, they're a great little little bookshop. And if you don't even use them, if you are buying anything for Christmas, Go to a local retailer, pay a couple of pounds more, and um, it, it will be worth it. It will be worth it because we've got to protect these guys. Okay, now into the history. So uh, Germany had been uh, riven by class conflict in the decade uh, running up to the First World War, and the Kaiser was very mindful, as were his chancellors uh, during that decade, very mindful that something needed to be done and perhaps even war was the answer though i've always shied away from the thesis uh, that was uh, probably put around in the 1980s that the kaiser was was motivated to go to war in order to distract from germany's social problems i, I i'm not convinced by that one at all so alexander watson writes the german people entered the First World War remarkably united. Differences of class and confession, religion and race, seemed to many who lived through these times suddenly to melt away in the national emergency. The Russian general mobilisation decisively shifted popular opinion, turning war from an unthinkable horror into a defensive necessity. This is the key to understanding why German society rapidly united in 1914. It was a threat, not of the French particularly, but of the Russians marching on on Germany. 
the SDP, the SPD, beg your pardon, the SPD, the uh, Socialist, uh, Socialist Party, the largest party in Germany at the time, uh, voted for um, the war, voted for um, the, the Kaiser's war budget, basically on this basis alone. They said that, you know, you won't get socialism by having the Tsar's soldiers ransacking Berlin. Uh, if that happens and the the Russians sweep across Europe, that'll be the last chance um, for anything remotely progressive in Germany to occur. So getting behind the Kaiser's war effort is a good idea. So Alexander Watson writes, The fear at the outbreak of hostilities was important in promoting readiness to suspend domestic quarrels and seek safety and solidarity. The Reich government also acted skillfully, however, in building consensus and cultivating unity. The distrust between Germany's conservative authorities and its largest political party, the Social Democrats, should not be underestimated. On the 30th of July, after German mobilisation was mistakenly reported in the Berliner local Anzeiger, Friedrich Ebert, one of the party's two chairmen, and Otto Bauer, its treasurer, fled with the party's finances to safety in Switzerland. As late as the 31st of July, its leaders reckoned that if war broke out, they would be arrested. It was thus little short of astounding and of immense importance for Germany's war effort that less than a week later, the party would vote unanimously for war credits. Um, and its other chairman, Hugo Haas, announced to the Reichstag that in the hour of danger, we do not leave the fatherland in the lurch. Lenin had an immense amount to say about this, all of it critical. He was hugely, um, in some ways, uh, disappointed in and angry at Europe's uh, socialist parties, but then essentially said, well, what do you expect? These really are kind of um, uh, sleeper agents for capitalism. And it, it defined um, ever more clearly the uh, the argument of uh, revolutionary socialists across Europe. That democratic socialists were really just uh, capitalists in disguise who were more than happy to sacrifice the working class uh, in the interests of fighting a capitalist war. But they were, in some ways, slightly more slippery characters than the um, the, 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 kind of the forces of reaction themselves and uh, portrayed themselves as being um, far more progressive than they actually were. Uh, the government, uh, and above all, uh, Chancellor Bethmann Holweg, had worked hard to make this possible, writes Alexander Watson. From the start of the crisis, it had shown respect for the Social Democrats. On the 26th of July, Haas had been called to the Prussian Interior Ministry and told that the SPD's anti-war protests would not be suppressed. An invitation from the Chancellor had followed three days later, but neither Haas nor the SPD leaders in Berlin um, uh, were in Berlin. Another socialist, Albert Sudikam, attended. Bethmann stressed to, the, to him the peaceful intentions of the Kaiser's government and was assured by Sudikam that the party had no intention of initiating strikes or sabotage. The Chancellor reported to the following, uh, the following day to the Prussian Ministry of State that there was nothing particular to fear from the SPD. The government was also sufficiently confident of the Socialist Union's uh, patriotism once war broke out that on the 2nd of August, their leader Karl Ligen 
was informed that there would be no there was there was no intention to repress his organization so there are some some interesting questions to raise here um, the extent to which the uh, German left really embraced the kind of internationalism that uh, people like the the Bolsheviks professed to embrace um, the extent to which the uh, the root beneath um, the the rhetoric of the democratic left in Germany um, a, a kind of a degree of, of patriotism and uh, nationalism was prevalent amongst uh, German workers, their representatives, and the the leaders of Germany's um, Germany's uh, working class organisations and, and political parties. And I I think it is it's difficult to separate um, Germany's uh, and perhaps probably anywhere else the, um, the 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 democratic socialist tradition and patriotism and a sense of uh, shared unity uh, in a time of, of national crisis particularly when you look at the geographical position of germany a sense of being surrounded by potential enemies and under siege i mean the title of the book brink of steel was a uh, a, a term that the uh, the German politicians and military leaders um, had for the alliances that surrounded Germany, that essentially Germany, that the Britain, France and Russia had created a ring of steel around the country. So there is this fear of living under conditions of siege and that has to uh, shape mentalities when um, war begins and there are all of a sudden higher national priorities than um, workers' interests and, and these kind of sectional sort of um, feuds that uh, um, between uh, labour and capital uh, over national resources uh, over or over the um, the the their sh the shares of profit. The Prussian military, belying its reputation as a reactionary and politically unsavvy organisation, also played its part. This was crucially important. Once the state of siege was declared on the late afternoon of the 31st of July, wide-ranging powers had passed under the provisions of Prussia's 1851 law on the state of siege to the generals who headed the 24 army corps districts that covered the Reich. They, or once they had mobilised their units and left for the battlefield, their deputies were responsible for the maintenance of public security during the emergency. They could suspend constitutional rights and had the authority to issue orders to civilian administrations within their core districts. The army's view in peacetime, based on the studies of insurgencies, had been that early decisive action was the key to maintaining internal order in a crisis. Yet the soldiers also understood that repressing organisations which possessed the loyalty not only of many reservists, but also of the railway workers essential for a successful mobilisation would be both risky and damaging for national morale. As early as the 25th of July, the discussion with the civilian government, the Prussian War Minister, General Eric von Falkenhayn, 
issued Army Corps direct uh, issued Army Corps district generals with guidelines recommending vigilance, but warning against overly hasty or strict action. It is not desirable, the generals were admonished, for political parties through suppression of their press and arrest of their leaders to be pushed from the beginning into sharp opposition to the government. So there's an awful lot to unpack there. What we can see is that the, the militarised nature of Germany was a much more militarised society than probably any other society in Europe. Um, and the uh, amount of kind of military administration of, um, of civilian Germany meant that Firstly, there was little chance um, before the final kind of crisis uh, in 1918 of the, the country spiralling out of, out of control in a way that Russia did, but also that the generals at home had an immense amount of, of power and an immense amount of licence to censor and to manage relations with um, civilian Germany, to shut down organisations and to um, make on-the-spot decisions about what law and order should look like during wartime. This perhaps gives us clues as to why it is by the last two years of the war um, Hindenburg and Ludendorff are effectively running the country as, as dictators. And that militarization also continues after the war. The kind of the authoritarian uh, power of the army in the uh, you know in civilian Germany. Uh, it, it's interesting when you look at Hitler's uh, immediate um, post-war employment as uh, essentially a, a spy working for the uh, the army of Bavaria. Um, and spending time uh, you know, visiting small political parties in Munich to uh, assess their, their kind of revolutionary potential and whether they're a danger and whether they need to be shut down and their members arrested or, or, or what have you. It's not the Bavarian state that has employed him. It is the, the army of Bavaria that is acting uh, as, it, as its own entity um, and uh, giving him uh, orders and instructions, which he's obviously more, more than happy to follow. So uh, militarism um, before the war, during and, and afterwards, is deeply woven into the fabric of, of German society. Um, and during the war on the home front, uh, army officers have a higher prestige and a, a greater de degree of power uh, than in probably any other European country. As with the previous example uh, about Falkenhayn and the, the SPD, where um, Falkenhayn gave the SPD plenty of reassurances, as he did the trade unions, and um, uh, was also reassured in return that these people wouldn't be troublemakers and didn't need any trouble to be made for them. There was no need to uh, cause 
uh, additional strife by cracking down on fairly compliant parties on the centre-left. Um, it was it's clear here that the official guidance towards uh, military governors uh, across Germany is, you know, don't go breaking skulls where none need to be broken. You know, be vigilant towards dissent and troublemakers, but by and large, don't go um, acting like petty tyrants and creating uh, trouble for yourselves and for the army where none needs to exist. The Kaiser are... Uh, the Army Corps districts generals could be given orders only by the Kaiser. Yet although under no obligation, they did follow the War Minister's guidelines towards the Social Democrats and Unions. Interestingly, however, writes Alexander Watson, this was less true of the treatment of the other major suspect groups in Germany, its minorities. Even in 1914, race posed a greater barrier than class to entry into the national community. In West Prussia and Upper Silesia, Polish language newspapers were temporarily banned, although admittedly the for in the former, um, so was the SPD press. Many Poles, including some minor community leaders, were arrested. So great was the suspicion that there were even searches of Catholic churches for weapons or for the entrance uh, of the entrances to tunnels leading to Russia. Local military commanders were, were responsible for these actions. Disgruntled provincial civil authorities, um, who generally had not been consulted, later pointed out that the arrests did not result in a, even a single prosecution. And surprisingly, the measures were demoralising for a community um, that was overwhelmingly obedient in August 1914. They signalled clearly, as one disgruntled Polish speaker noted in his diary, you are the enemy. Now, one of the things we looked at in a previous podcast, also based on this book, was the wave of uh, anti-Slavic uh, racist hysteria that uh, happened in the summer of 1914, following the assassination of the Archduke Franz Ferdinand. You have across the Austro-Hungarian Empire uh, panic um, and panic and paranoia um, about um, uh, Slav um, people in the um, uh, in in what in the Balkans, in uh, the the Crown lands, or what are the are Bohemia and Moravia, um, or Czechoslovakia now, and in the uh, Austrian and German parts of what is now Poland, and there was a a kind of uh, a wave of um, attacks upon Slavic people in German uh, occupied Europe or, or Germanic Europe or German dominated Europe. Um, so it is hardly any surprise that you have a repression of uh, Polish newspapers and Polish culture uh, briefly uh, in the at the beginning of uh, the First World War. But also, as it points out, the majority of Poles that came under German rule were entirely loyal to the Germans and uh, were entirely happy 
to um, to uh, be ruled by or to be to uh, at least acquiesce to Germany's war effort. Um, for many, the the prospect of um, the 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 Tsar's uh, armies marching across uh, Silesia and into Prussia uh, was an unattractive one, and uh, Poles had many many long bitter memories uh, about their treatment at the hands of the russians um, and so it was very much a kind of a, a devil you know sort of situation in west germany uh, in in the west of germany uh, alsace lorrainers were treated even more harshly civil military relations in this area had been poisonous before the war and the army which suspected the population of french sympathies did not hesitate to take around 400 people into custody including 19 clergymen and two deputies from the regional parliament as with the polish minority the soldiers were unfamiliar with local conditions and relying on denunciations ended up unjustly detaining many loyal subjects these people uh, these peoples lived on uh, enemies for enemy frontiers which goes some way to explain the nervousness and repression this was not true of germany's danish minority however whose press was closed and its leaders arrested some 172 people associated with the danish national movement including reichstag deputy hans peter hansen were imprisoned a further 118 German Danes were deprived of their freedom solely because of their knowledge of the coastal waters. It was feared they might help uh, men not wishing to be drafted flee across the Danish border or even assist a British naval attack. Of course, the other anxiety about somewhere like Denmark um, or the, the Danish minority uh, in Germany or even the uh, Germano-French minority in Alsace-Lorraine was that during the war separatist movements might have ample opportunity to break away from Germany uh, and this was something that was considered to be uh, really really um, a, a, you know a, a real clear and present threat to the, the unity of a state that had only existed since 1871. So arresting nationalist leaders and uh, uh, arresting nationalist politicians and nationalist journalists in 1914 uh, probably seemed like a, a good preemptive measure. The Kaiser wanted to see um, in 1914 a new Germany emerge, a Germany without class distinctions, without party rivalries without uh, national uh, nationalist ethnic divides uh, and of course the the, the kaiser was a, an a, an a intellectually weak and inattentive man who uh, lived in fantasy for much of his life and simply assumed that because this was desirable to him it would be uh, achievable and assumed as uh, several people in the first world war you know the likes of um, you know the, the italian journalist at the time mussolini um, believed that uh, war would forge national unity and national identity and it would make um, national uh, citizens out of people who were simply the inhabitants of nation states uh, and the 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 kaiser um articulates this 
in 1914 uh, and hopes that this will come to pass. And we're going to look more at that in a a separate podcast um, and look more closely at uh, the, uh, the, the, the Kaiser's uh, wishes in that regard. But I'll, I'll leave you now on this um, thought. This sentiment, this kind of sen- pre- brief sense of unity lasts for two years. And when it fragments and falls apart, Germany faces uh, ruination and crisis. And the German war ends, of course, with a social revolution in 1918. Thanks very much, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. All the best. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.